You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Carpe Diem. On nights when he could not sleep, he would imagine his own funeral. Not his death or the illness that would precede it, but just his funeral. He did not think this was morbid, because when he thought of his funeral, it filled him with something verging on joy. His funeral would be a celebration of his life, ex-girlfriends ripping out their hair with longing and regret, anonymous admirers perched in trees with telephoto zoom lenses, colleagues looking down at their shoes, shoes wet with their own tears, and old friends rending the clothing from their backs in a frenzy of enemy and despair. He closed his eyes and smilingly imagined family members hurling their limp bodies onto his $20,000 massive oak coffin. It was said that at the funeral of Alexander the Great, the emperor's pet toucan, a multicolored vivacious bird named Tootie, chirped a song so mournful that those present were said to have been made nauseous with grief. At his own funeral, he would have a string quartet play a sad, wistful version of Engelbert Humperdinck's There Goes My Everything, prompting all to cry until their eyeballs turned as dry as cotton balls. Yes, a celebration of life. These were happy, comforting thoughts that soon lulled him to sleep. If you were called upon to speak at my funeral, mm-hmm. just off the top of your head, just brainstorming sort of, what what's one of your favorite stories about me? Probably the time uh, that we took crystal meth together. I think we were hanging out in, uh, in the park, and uh, you turned to me and uh, said, time to make the donuts, and then punched me in the face. What are you talking about? You don't I, remember that? No, I don't remember that. I never did that to you. Yeah, you did. I mean, no. and, and even if... It, what kind of a story is that, anyway, to tell at someone's funeral? It, it's, it's very representative of, of you. I, I didn't see it coming, and that was part of the... the I mean, it was, it was always a surprise around you. Wait, what, what, hang on a second. Wait, we're, we were hanging out... I, I, okay, I don't remember... I don't, I've, meth, I, I've never done crystal meth. We're hanging out and you, you're thinking of something Time else. to make the donuts and then you just, bam, you just, yeah, hit me in the face. Time to make the, no, I don't remember that. Time to make the donuts. Time to make the donuts. Time to make the donuts, exactly. Time to make the donuts and it doesn't, that, does, it's, that doesn't even make any sense. But you're on a, a, a drug. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, first of all, I, I don't think that was the case. Second of all, you know, in in any state of mind, I can't imagine myself punching anyone. And and I mean, even so, I mean, what like if that story were true, which it isn't, that's the kind of story you would tell while standing over my coffin. I think. Uh, like, like no, no, seriously, imagine like because uh, I'm just trying to imagine this here. The rabbi calls you up to the podium and says, you know, now uh, Sam Shalabi is going to say a few words. John suddenly yelled. Time to make the donuts, and then turned around and punched me in the face. And, uh, yeah, that's something. That's a memory that I'll always have of John. Others fade, but that one won't. 
And, and you don't you don't think that's at all defaming? I'm the one that was punched in the face, and I, I have no I, I bear I bear no ill feeling. No, about no, it. not I mean, at all. I mean, of all the stories you could tell, right? You know, the time I helped you move a couch, or the times that we had camping. You know, none of that. This is the story that you're going to choose to tell. The, because the, that story has everything in it. Well, what does it have in it? It has. It has me being abusive, irrational and abusive. At the end of one's life, it's the it's the irrational, abusive. Um, moments that's in a sense that's how we'll be judged i think and i thought this was funny if, but it was funny when i punched you you were laughing i, I, I not at first but mm-hmm. later yeah, yeah. I, I was i was laughing but yeah I, it was funny i mean time to make the donuts bam how would he die he wondered from cholera while helping the less fortunate, stabbed while defending some poor runaway from an abusive pimp, perhaps a parasailing accident. Any of those would look neat in an obituary. A brilliant businessman and a gambler by disposition, when the end did come, he would try to negotiate a deal with the angel of death. For the sake of posterity, as a token rage against the dying of the light, he would at least try to talk his way out of the inevitable. Give me just a few more days, he would say to the dark angel, hovering by his deathbed. The longest I've ever held my breath was one minute and fifteen seconds, and at the moment, I am not prepared to break that personal record. I said it at the age of twelve. I was competing with a friend. We submerged ourselves in the lake, and after about twenty seconds underwater, I felt like I could just go on forever. It was a weird feeling. Even after thirty seconds, and then forty. I didn't feel the least bit in need of oxygen. What if I no longer require air, I thought. What if I could just stay down there forever? Through my goggles, I looked at my waterproof diver's watch. A full minute had passed. I started to panic. Why didn't I need any air? What was wrong with me? Had I somehow grown secret gills? Under my armpits? In the small of my back? The panic I experienced was the panic of one who secretly suspects himself of not really being of the human species at all. This made a fair bit of sense to me. I rarely cried. I was indifferent to fresh air and sunshine. And despite all of the acclaim it received, terms of endearment left me completely cold. As the oxygen slowly drained from my brain, the idea that I was actually some kind of pre-mammalian amphibious creature did not seem that improbable. Still able to hold my breath, but terrified by what that gross ability implied, I popped my head out of the water. One minute and fifteen seconds. Since that day, I have not tried to hold my breath. So at least give me some more time to practice. Hey, let me ask you something else. Okay. If you had to kill me, right? God forbid. Mm-hmm. If you had to kill me. Mm-hmm. How would you go about it? I'd probably choke you to death with my bare hands. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Why? Why? Because you could do it any way that you wanted. You could. You could poison my tea. You could um, shoot me while I was sleeping. You know, anything, anything. I, I, I mean, I, I would. I would strangle you with my bare hands because I mean, those other methods that you're talking about mm. are so anonymous, and and I think. If I'm going to be there at your last breath, 
I would like it to be something intimate. I mean, I'd like for, for, for there to be some physical contact as well. And so, and I think I'd, I'd like to be looking at your face as you, as you know, as you know, I'd like to, to, to see you die. Eye to eye, right? That's how you yeah, want it. Eye exactly. to eye, like we're looking, like in a, like a, like very loving in a way. Yeah, like a, like an embrace, sort of tender. Mm-hmm. There's something tender about watching uh, the life go out of someone's eyes like that. I think, and there's 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 no, I mean, it's so unambiguous as well. You know, to to strangle someone to death. That's that's the way you would want it done. That's the way I'd like to kill you. I think. Yeah. If you had to. Yes. Right. I yeah. Mean, if I was, uh, you know, if, whatever, if I had some kind of fatal illness and I I asked you, right? Yeah, that's, that's how, how I do it. That's how you do it. And, uh, I mean, it, because, you know, I mean, it could be, it, it takes a lot of uh, strength in the hands, from what I understand, and it can also take quite some time. That I don't mind. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you know, say I was to shoot you, I mean, mm-hmm. bam, it's you know over, and, and you know that's it. Because I mean, this is it's a it's a it could be a very slow, excruciatingly painful process. It could be slow, but I mean, if I was called upon to kill you, um, I would choose that method because uh, I care about you. You must really, um, you must really love me. I think so, because also it uh, there would be this kind of, in a sense, replaying of our relationship, you know, with the sort of the anger, the love, the, the laughs, and, you know, the whole, you know, sort of turbulence and tumult, and, and then the reconciliation. So in a sense, it would be like a kind of condensed version of, of our whole relationship. Even as his father was jostling him awake in the middle of the night, Isaac never had a clue. Even as Abraham silently led him out the front door and walked him across the dark fields that surrounded their home, Isaac could only think that everything was as it should be. Maybe father has something to teach me, Isaac thought. Something that is bigger than words. Something that cannot be spoken, but only shown. His father was a man of few words. So this kind of behavior was in keeping with his personality. Abraham often taught and communicated things to his children through admonishing looks and poignant silences. Even so, Abraham had never done anything like this before. Isaac smiled inwardly, feeling special. Out of anyone in the world, he was the one his father had chosen to share a special bit of wisdom with. A wisdom that could only be taught in the middle of the night at the far edges of a field with the use of a sharpened axe which his father kept slung over his left shoulder even as his father laid him down on the stone where he made his animal sacrifices and even as the tears fell from his eyes Isaac only felt curious never scared even when Abraham lifted the axe high in the air and aimed it directly at him. He laid there still and patient, awaiting some moral lesson to be shared about the glory of God and the mutability of the flesh, or something like that. The moment when the horror of what was actually happening finally struck him was when he caught sight of the expression on his father's face. It was a look he would never have thought his father capable of, 
It made Abraham look like a different style of person entirely. The kind of person who would spit on the floor while praying. A person who would pull an old man's beard for no reason at all. He couldn't explain it exactly. But it was like in that moment, his father had removed a mask and had revealed some truer person. Even after the angel had appeared and had steadied Abraham's hand, the hand which held the axe, and God's voice had bellowed clear and forceful from behind the clouds, praising his father for his loyalty and faith, Isaac knew he would never be able to see his father the same way again, now that he knew who his father truly was. It was a new piece of wisdom when he wished he did not have to know. If you were called upon, okay, after my death, mm-hmm. to dance on my grave, mm-hmm. I mean, there was no getting around it. You had to dance on my grave. What kind of dance would you choose to do? The Charleston. The Charleston? Yeah. Why? Um, I think as a tribute to, to you and... and uh your life, I, I think I, I, I would. Uh, I mean, I guess I would really try to do the, the dance in a way that it's never been done before. I, I mean, now people, when they do the Charleston, it's it's you know it's full of so much irony and you know sort of yada yada yada. But I would try to put the grace and and yeah and that solemnity and and, and almost religious quality back in the Charleston. Bring it back to. What it, it you know it, what what it means what it what it means to do it to, what it meant I guess for the first people that were doing the Charleston right now what do you think what do you think it it meant back then I think it was it was an expression of pure giddy joy I think yeah and so and and so you think uh, on my grave that would be a good that would be a good time to sort of express some of that again right. absolutely. If after you die, and all the good stuff you ever saw, all the good stuff you ever read, all the good stuff you ever heard and thought and wrote and recorded, if all the good stuff you said to your friends, all the good stuff that you thought late at night to yourself, that you drunkenly cried out, your feet crossed on lopsided coffee tables, if all the good stuff you ate, all the good stuff you smelled, that you dreamt of, if all that good stuff could become a cocoon that could wrap itself around you, a cocoon that would ferry you out of your body and into the unknown. Would that be enough? Could all of the good stuff ever be enough stuff to allow you to leave the world in a state anywhere close to resembling peace? One line, okay? One line that sums up my entire life and my death. Time to make the donut. Sam, I never said that. Yes, she did. I John. never, I never would have John, said something I, I, so stupid. I mean, I was there. I, I didn't. I. You were on crystal meth. I never. John. I don't do drugs. I, I, I wouldn't. I. It, maybe not now. You did, you, John. You, you did. You're a, a warrior. You like to party, John. I didn't punch people in the face. You punched me in the face. I never. I don't know what you did to what other people, but when we were on crystal meth together, what I wanted.
Hello? Hello? Hello, Howard? Hello? Hello? Yes, Howard. Hey, John, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I, I, I can hear you fine. What, 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 what is going on? Uh, there's a bit of delay, I'm sorry. I, I'm calling from Europe. You're what? Did, did you say you're in Europe? Yeah, I'm in Europe. Hello? Yeah, Howard, yes, I'm here. Why are you in Europe? I won. I did that thing. I ate the, I ate the four boxes of cereal, and I sent in the UPC codes, and I, I won my trip to Europe. Can't win if you can't enter. I'm in Europe. I'm in France. Uh-huh. So you, you won a contest. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can hear me okay? I, I hear you fine. Um, you said I could never do it, John. You said I could never do it. You said only mental midgets enter those competitions. And I did it, and I won. I don't remember saying that, but... You said, only, uh, you said only people with nothing to do but to read the back of cereal boxes while they eat enter those competitions. And I did it. Well, good for you. You told me anybody who can eat four boxes of cereal uh-huh. doesn't deserve a trip to Europe. Well, they deserve a colonoscopy. That doesn't sound like something I'd say, but... They don't even have cereal in Europe. Hmm, that's, that's sort of ironic, isn't it? They actually cut up cheese in a bowl and pour wine on it instead of milk. It's wonderful. So, so, you, so, you, so you, made, you made it... I was right! I was right and you were wrong! I proved you wrong! See, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't believe in it. You thought the whole thing was a scam, and here I am. Now I'm in Europe now, and you know, I, I mean, I didn't have your support on this one, that's for sure. And I just, I was so motivated, and I just, I, what can I say? I proved you wrong. I mean, here I am. You can't deny where I am. I hear I'm calling you from Europe. The U.S. of Europe, right by the by the water in France, looking at all the the mustaches and all the umbrellas, sitting here all from from the fruits of my labor, my own moxie, my own my own hard work, sitting here in Europe. So I did it. I did it, Ma. I did it. Okay. It's beautiful. The postcards don't lie. You've never been to Europe? No, I've never, I've never been. You're, you're missing something beautiful. It's, it sounds like it. Oh, it's John. I'm telling you. Yeah, I don't know. You need to get some culture into your life. Got to come down to Europe. I'm telling you, it's beautiful. Now that I've been here and I've seen the other side, I'm a changed man, John. It's a beautiful world. I'll, I'll bring it back to keychain. Uh huh. What, what are you doing uh, to get away? You're going to Plattsburgh. You went down to the, to the Burlington Mall. You're buying like, like cheaper booze in the states. Is that what you're doing? Uh-huh. I can't believe how long I've waited, John. I've waited my whole life to come here. I can't believe I waited so long. They have something here called Fritz. Fritz, they're like fries. You mean the French fries? Yeah, but they're called Fritz. Right, but it's that's French fries. They dip them in mayonnaise. Uh-huh. These people are miles ahead of us. They're like a society of the future. Who would have thought of dipping French fries in mayonnaise, Jonathan? I'm telling you, we're a bunch of backwards hillbillies. We walk around eating our, our food out of packages... These people are diving into the ocean and coming out with a fish between their teeth. I got here the night before last. Uh-huh. I arrived in I arrived in uh, in Toulouse. That's just outside of Paris. Uh-huh. You you know you know that the Toulouse? Uh-huh. 
the the city is named after that that short little artist guy there. Uh huh. He liked women. Right. Yeah. He what? painted. He liked women a lot. Little short guy. He was great. And how, how's how how is your French? Uh, I picked it up. I've only been here for a couple of days, but I feel like I'm doing fine. Yeah. Mm hmm. I say un café garçon. Uh huh. And they bring me a coffee. I say une crepe, madame. And they bring me a crepe. And by the way, uh, crepe doesn't mean the same thing uh, over there. I learned. Uh huh. So, well, are you? Are you? Um, are, is there any other things you're going to see while you're in France? Are you going to? Are you going to go to the Louvre? I'm going to head down to the. Yeah, I'm going to head down to the Louvre. I'm going to. I'm thinking I'm going to go go look at the art. I'm going to walk along the Seine. Gonna buy myself a red balloon. I got this old blind man. He's teaching me how to play the accordion. I'm having a very, very French experience. I'm saying, oh, oh, oh. Uh, What does that mean exactly? I'm not sure really, but uh, it's, it's something to do with frustration. I, I don't think I'm going to be coming home again. This is truly paradise. Really? France is truly, truly paradise. Well, it, 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 it's, it sounds really beautiful. Everything is so pure and fresh, and they have they delight in the most basic natural thing. The other day I drank an entire mug of olive oil. Okay. Just straight, pure olive oil. Well, th that can't be very good for you. Oh, they said it's really good for you. It has all kinds of, kinds of curative properties. I, I mean, I feel like a million bucks. I mean, I gotta tell you, like, my digestive system is just running like a Ferrari. Huh. It's incredible. Europe is a very, very beautiful, wonderful, cultured place, Jonathan. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's not for you, though. It's, it's not for you. This is not your kind of environment. Well, I can, I'll tell you that frankly. Really? Why, why do you say that? Well, you know, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you're a very, very intelligent man, mm -hmm. and you're a good person, Jonathan. You're a good person. Don't let anyone ever take that away from you. Yeah, well, thank you. But, you know, it's... You know, you're you're kind of a good old American boy. You know, you like your you like your Big Macs and you like your you know convenience shopping, eating your chips. You know, and your nacho spread. And but I, I don't I don't think I agree. I mean, I've never been to Europe, but I mean, I've seen movies. You know, uh, that take place in France, and it always. <laughs> Whatever you read in the paper and anything you see in TV, let alone movies, mm -hmm. will give you a very, very poor impression of, of the real Europe. Le vrai Europe, mm -hmm. as they say. Yeah. Or das Briegen Europe. Yeah. One day, maybe, when you're older and a little more sophisticated, maybe you'll have the interest and you can come down and truly appreciate it. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to show you my Europe. Howard's Europe. Mm -hmm. I'll show you all the historic sites, the art, the culture, the music. It really changes people. Where, where, where are you calling from right now? Are you calling from your hotel? Outside in, in Europe, there are these kind of booths that you go to and you, you pay money. Like a telephone booth? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm We have those here, too. Well... Because, I mean, the connection is so, so clear. I mean, it, it sounds as though you could be calling me from your apartment. It's incredible technology. Yeah. You know, I mean, the reason I mean the reason I bring it up is, um, I mean, I, I have call display here in the office, and I mean, it's, I see your phone number. Well, I'm using my cell phone, so that must somehow be linked to my regular no, but line. I mean, you don't have a cell phone, Howard. I got one just for my trip. That has the same number as your number at home. Howard, can I ask you a question? Why? Why would you? Why, I mean, why would you even create a lie like this? I mean, why? What? what I, I don't get it. 
I don't know where you're coming from. I'm I'm here in Europe. I mean, that would be quite pathetic for me to to. It would be. It would be. I know, it really would be. I agree. Uh, why would I make up an elaborate lie? Uh, that, well, that's what I'm asking you. In Europe, with uh, not even be able to back it up. So, w- what time is it in France right now? I I got two twenty-five. Yeah, no, that's 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 the time that it is in Montreal. Well, I, I think we're in the same because like, we're in the same same time zone. No, no, I don't. No, we're not in the same time zone. Oh, uh, oh, it's four twenty-five. Yeah, no, I don't, that's not it either, Howard. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Well, no, I'm. 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 Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm not. Well. Yeah, I'm not in Europe. I, I know you're not in Europe. I'm. I, I'm in my bed. Why? Why were you lying to me? I guess I was bored, and and you're so arrogant. I'm at, wh- Why am I arrogant? I don't know. You said I would never make it to Europe. I just kind of wanted to, I don't know, prove you wrong or something. You said I would never get around to mailing the UPC codes and in. And did you? No. I don't know why they make these things so complicated. And I figured, you know, it's the same difference, you know. I might as well just say I'm here. You know. Hey, uh, all that stuff aside there, can you wire me some money? You, you need some money? Well, I can use it. Well, I mean, if you need some money, just come by my place. I mean, I'll just, I'll just give it to you. I don't need to wire it to you. But can you wire it to me? Because it, it would make me feel like, like I'm traveling and it would make me feel all European. I can take that money and I can buy some French bread and I can buy myself a cape. And I can go and get the barber to give me a handlebar mustache, and I could, I can get a monocle, and I can make a short film about a red balloon, or maybe get my bike stolen. On Wiretap today, you heard Sam Shalabi and Howard Jackowitz. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. Production help from Mira Bertwintonic. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Friday evening at 8.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.